Hello and welcome back to To Build a Leader, the HLA Listen podcast where we discover the building blocks, building the people, driving society. I'm Med and I'm here with my friends and fellow scholars Nandi. Hi! And Tine. Hi everyone. So what's the plan for today's episode? This week is all about building. Um, throwback to the episode where Med made that awful joke. Okay, I think Med's just sit this one out. Guys, thanks for the moral support. I appreciate it. I'll be sure to pursue the comical route if this uh, all doesn't <laughs> work out. Um, seriously, though, let's let's talk about team building. Now, um, big hero of mine is Jeff Gothelf, who is the author of a fantastic book about efficient team working called Lean User Experience. And in it, he calls the team the atomic object of a culture of learning. <laughs> okay, right, this time, this one time, I'll admit your quote was actually quite helpful. No matter what situation you're in, leading design, healthcare, project management, aviation, you and your team need to have a well-ingrained culture of learning in order to create excellent things. But what does this team actually look like? Mm. Um, I think smaller is better yeah. in this scenario. Um, Jeff mm. Bezos, you know, the inventor of that small humble mm. business coined the two pizza rule so basically this is the idea that if your team is too big to be fed with two large pizzas it's too big full stop mm. yeah so i guess for me that'll be like a team of one right okay. right okay i mean well for normal people we're talking about like <laughs> six to eight people yeah that's that's about right um big enough to delegate tasks and assign clear roles but um, small enough that there is still accountability. There's nowhere to hide and the division of labour is, is sensible. And well, the other thing to think about, or that I like to think about, is that you're not limited by your job title. Mm. If there's something that needs to be done and you can do it, and the team needs it to be done, then you should be doing it. You know, And I think that's really important when you're starting out and, and building something, trying to get something up from the ground up. Yeah, yeah. I think with this kind of thing, one thing I'm often asked to do is to have meetings with people over Skype, a long distance. We did it a lot. Mm. And, you know, it's really great when meeting people in person is just so, so difficult. Mm. But the evidence really is, is that collaborating in person is far more effective. Yeah. Like you said, even with this podcast, we can be really productive when we're working from home, but we found that collaborating together in the same room, we, we just get more done. Yeah, definitely. Mm. So there is one big name in team building. And it's the Avengers. Okay, keeping us on track, <laughs> Med, as always. Love it. Um, no, it's uh, Professor Meredith Belbin. He identified nine key characteristics needed for team working. I think it's really important to have a nice spread of characteristics in your team. Mm. Otherwise, people with similar strengths would end up competing for tasks and responsibilities that best suit them, exactly. rather than focusing on our team objective. Yeah. yeah. So there are nine of these roles, which is quite a lot to cover in this one go. So uh, why not refer to our leader notes on the HLA Listen website to follow along with our written guide and read in about the ones that we don't discuss today, as we'll only focus on four of them this time. Um, the first role that we're going to talk about is the coordinator. Now, they are mature, confident and tend to identify talent. They are usually the team builder. Um, think Nick Fury 
if we're going to stick with Med's Avengers. Nice, very nice. But just like Nick Fury, yeah. the coordinator can be manipulative mm. in order to get what their goal is. And there is a thin line between delegating and offloading your work. The next role is the team worker. They're your diplomat. They're the person who glues the team together, they avert the arguments, and they're a good listener, which often makes them a really good team worker. But they're not always a good decision maker, though. So you've got to make sure you don't leave them alone when it comes to crunch time. Yeah. Okay. The one I want to talk about is the resource investigator. Mm. This is the classic salesman. Right. Um, Outgoing, enthusiastic, likeable. Great at parties, a people's person, <laughs> brings in opportunity, develops your contacts. Problem is, they often lose interest after that initial enthusiasm and after that achievement's passed. So you've got to try and keep them motivated yeah, as you yeah. go along. So the last one we're going to talk about is the shaper. So this is the first of the sort of action-centred roles rather than people-centred roles. Um, This person thrives on pressure and has the drive to overcome obstacles. But with that comes a tendency towards provocation and they can be quite blunt and brash in their approach. Okay. So talk a little bit about us. Like, Mm. Which role do you guys think that... Well, I guess sort of as a group of three, we have to sort of take on more than one role. Mm. So, I'm, you know, I wonder what we think it would be like through like a larger team. Yeah. We have to compensate for the missing roles, I guess. Yeah, exactly. And the group dynamic really defines the roles. Of I think course. in loads of other groups, I would usually put myself forward as a coordinator. Mm-hmm. But with you two, um, less so. Okay. Um, <laughs> I was about to agree with you, but I'm just going to answer the question instead. I think I'm sort of a resource investigator, a specialist um, in the group, that kind of thing. Mm. Yeah, absolutely. It makes sense because yeah, you've I, done podcasts in the past yeah, as well. What do you think, Med? Um, so, like Tanae said, I, I don't think that we all fit completely into one role, but I mm. guess if I had to pick one, I'd say the coordinator primarily for um, yeah. Mandy. I like teamwork. I'm all about the fluffy stuff, the friendships and the hanging out. Again, please do take a look at uh, the leader notes. Um, We've outlined these in way Mm -hmm. more detail. Um, Yeah, so take a look at those. So now that we've underpinned the theory, let me introduce to you our special guest for this episode, Dr. Rachel Pickering. Uh, lovely to have you with us, and it would be amazing to have you to introduce yourself to start with. Thank you, Nandi. Uh, so as Nandi said, I'm Rachel Pickering. I'm a GP. I've been a medical doctor for 20 years, born and bred in Hull, Yorkshire, trained as a doctor in London. I am the medical director of Integritas Healthcare. We are a faith-inspired non-government organisation, NGO, with a heart for detainees. And that means that we provide healthcare, expertise, advocacy, research and training for and about detainees. I spend a lot of my time abroad. Our NGO has a base in the Philippines. And when I'm in the UK, I'm uh, in London. So, when in London, you are still working in the prison GP? Yes, I have to earn a living, because (laughs) what I do for my NGO is unwaged. So, I work as a prison GP in four London prisons. So, um, how do you balance all of those obligations with sort of normal life? Pretty tricky at times. You need a very, very organised diary. Mm. And actually, I also have a PA, who's very helpful to me. 
I first started working in the Philippines five years ago and over the last 25 trips I've mm. gradually migrated more and more of my life over there so I have duplicate sets of toiletries, <laughs> duplicate sets of clothes, two bedrooms, so many things, yeah. you know, a duplicate gym kit. Mm. Uh, it it's, is a, a work in progress, shall we say. It's like, um, for example, I just left my bottom half of my bikini in the Philippines and I've got the top half in the UK, so how have I to go <laughs> swimming for the last three months? <laughs> right. Okay, so this episode is focused on the leader as a builder and as somebody who has now built um, sort of an NGO from nothing, I just have a few questions focusing in on that. So to start with, what was the big driver in in building this? I've always been quite entrepreneurial mm-hmm. and uh, my father, uh, I, I grew up helping him on a Saturday morning at work. He built up a company from scratch and he is very much my role model in life. Yeah. He wasn't a doctor, but he left being a teacher in order to work uh, as a, a missionary right. uh, and he decided that he needed a bus mm. um, in order to help get all his workers around. So he got a bus driving license. And then he thought, hmm, what can I do with the bus on the days when I don't need it? Oh, mm. I know, I'll start a bus company. And then before you know it, he's got a whole fleet of buses and he's putting all the money that he makes through hiring out these buses mm. to help his work um, and his his own um, passions. And I grew up helping him take coach bookings on a Saturday morning. And I think that experience that actually I have done all the nitty-gritty tasks. That has actually helped me have a respect for the importance of having a wide range of skills around you Mm. as you build an organisation. And I look at my dad's example, that he always valued the cleaner as much as he valued his best driver, as much as he valued his secretary, and actually he put himself last. That was a really um, grounding value for me. So you've just spoken quite a bit here about the skills of the people around you. Mm -hmm. So how do you go about selecting people to join the team or to join the business? I think it's very important right from the start to think about both the day-to-day running of something Mm -hmm. and the accountability, how you're going to justify what you have done. Yeah. So right from the start, when I created Integritas, I appointed another two directors Mm -hmm. so they were the uh, governance to whom I was accountable Mm. and I did that by looking at people who knew me as a person and who supported me and my drive knew why I was passionate about what I'm passionate about Mm. so I appointed my husband Mark who's also prison GP and I appointed a psychiatrist friend who I'd worked with in my professional life, mm. but who was not going to be involved in the day-to-day professional transactions of Integritas's work. So he okay. wasn't a prison GP, mm. but he understood me as a person. He'd always been supportive to me, but he wasn't afraid to ask me difficult questions mm. and to say, hang on a minute, why are you doing that? It's very tempting to always appoint your friends. Yeah. Now, he is a friend, but he's a friend who's not afraid to say to me, you're wrong. Yeah. Or have you yeah. considered that you might be wrong? Mm. I think very important not to make the mistake of only having your best buds around you. Yeah, yeah. Because actually your best buddies sometimes find it too hard to say to you, hang on a minute, I think mm. you're going down the wrong track here. Or they're so enmeshed in what you're doing day to day that they too are blinded to the fact that together you're all going down the wrong track. So choose your governors wisely. 
and a point as you go along, expand your governance as you go along. Okay, so we've spoken a little bit about sort of, as I've said, the big picture and the little picture of planning ahead and and hiring and seeking skills. Do you think do you think very much about in the process of hiring the sort of um, types of people that you're hiring and how they'll fit into the team? That's a really really key thing. Mm. When I started Integritas, I was about five or six years on from a very painful work experience when I was on the receiving end of a personality clash Mm. in another role. I had a non-clinical job and I had a line manager uh, put into position over me as Mm. the company I was working with expanded. Mm -hmm. And I just knew, even though they were a very nice person, Yeah. I'd known them before from a social setting. I just knew that although they were competent to do the job and Mm. I was competent to do my job and that we could work alongside each other, actually working together, Mm. and that person being line manager for me was just not going to work from a personality perspective. And I remember saying to the person who was that person's boss Mm. I do not think this would be a good idea I'd rather resign and let you go ahead and appoint this person if you've got your heart set on it because it's just not going to work out in the great big matrix of personality Mm. dynamics and I was persuaded to give it a go I gave in and I spent a very unhappy year working doing some very good work with this other person Mm. but making myself miserable because it just was a real class you know like sometimes you you go to university and you meet uh, another girl in your year who's just really popular everyone loves her and on paper you really love her as well and Mm. you can't see what's not great about her Mm. but it drives you crazy why don't I get on with this person yeah I really had a breakthrough when I did the Myers-Briggs personality Mm -hmm. typing okay and I learned a lot of things about myself mm. and I realised when I found out later on what this other person that I mm. couldn't be line managed by what their personality type but they just don't go right it was nobody's fault it's just a fact of life so as a boss now mm. uh, managing Integritas's employees I have had to manage some pretty tricky situations mm. especially when it comes to people from different countries so we do have a small staff in the philippines Mm -hmm. and we have a small staff in the uk and then we've had volunteers from more than 10 different countries different nationalities tend to have different senses of humor Mm. different even uh, different rules about what's considered a swear word Mm. Mm. and that could be really offensive to other people um jokes you know some people don't get british irony they just Mm. don't get it and they're looking at you are you stupid? No, I'm being <laughs> ironic. Yeah, you know, yeah. So many things uh, feed into whether or not people within a team are going to get on. Mm-hmm. You have a duty first and foremost to the people who are already on your team. And it's really important to factor that in when deciding who to appoint. Uh, so asking the rest of your team to get involved in recruitment, saying, you know, who right. did you gel the best with? Mm-hmm. There's nothing wrong with that, yeah. especially when we're talking small core teams. Mm-hmm. Uh, and especially when you're not always going to be on hand to sort of oil the wheels of social niceties. Of course, yeah. Big, big companies mm-hmm. have got huge HR departments. Yeah. It's much easier for them. 
But the reason they have huge HR departments is because HR is so important. So mm. don't neglect it. I would advise people to read a lot about personality types. Uh-huh. If you don't get on with someone, ask yourself why that is. Yeah. And as a boss, get to know yourself. Because mm-hmm. if you know yourself, you know, you can help manage other people. Yeah. And sometimes you are a problem. You know, sometimes people can't respect you as a boss because they're just not able to get along with you you know that that's not something that's personal you shouldn't get offended by it but nonetheless Mm. you need to have even as a very small organization a mechanism for dealing with that Mm. and I learned that the hard way about two years ago when we had a an overseas team and there was somebody who just could not respect me as a boss they just could not handle me as a team leader Mm. and the person that we'd appointed as the deputy team leader or the yeah. co-team leader, unfortunately, also had a conflict of interest. They didn't feel able to manage that person mm. and it ended up nearly ruining the whole team. Yeah. Okay. So now we have a mechanism for dealing with such a scenario that mm. would involve one of our uh, trustee, one of our directors getting mm. involved. We've also appointed an occupational health counselling service that we can use Mm. when we need to an online service that we can access from anywhere in the world and that seems like quite an expense for a small company Mm. but we are relatively small but it's worth it you've got to get all your ducks lined up in the row in the row because one day you're going to need to shoot that duck Mm. yeah (laughs) you just don't know when that day is going to be yeah so it's a a building a foundational thing Mm. you know don't just build your next layer of bricks fill that hole and then carry on up building your wall This is really encouraging because there is a clear sense here that some of these obstacles you encountered as you built. And so there isn't necessarily that pressure to have all the answers before you start, is there? Absolutely. Don't ever make the mistake of pretending that as an organisation that you can cope with something. Mm. So, you know, if somebody says, I'd like to see your policy on X... Yeah. And you don't have a policy on X. <laughs> don't say, sure, I'll email it to you in the morning. Mm-hmm. That's a kind of white lie. Yeah. You haven't said you don't have one, but you haven't said that, actually, yeah, I'll email it to you in the morning, but only once I've spent all night writing it. Mm-hmm. And then what I've written isn't actually able to have sufficient time to go through due process and go to our governors and back. Of course. You know, don't pretend to be more developed than you are. Mm-hmm. When people say that, just say, do you know what? That's an excellent idea. We don't have one of those yet, mm. but I'm going to write that down on my to-do list for next month. Could I get it to you in draft form by, you know, six weeks' time? Would that mm. be okay? And people who are worth doing business with will respect that. Yeah. So don't fudge it. Yeah. 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 So you've really shared quite a few examples of sort of rebuilding when things have gone wrong, but are there any sort of personal failures in the building of this business that you've experienced that you can share? I've had a failure to complete something which was semi-professional and semi-personal. Mm-hmm. So uh, as you know, Nandy, I have a young adult daughter with high functioning autism mm. and it's very important that my PA is able to get along with that person to help with her care when necessary. Mm. I created that specification in the PA's uh, job description after having had to withdraw from doing a PhD. Mm. So about 
three years ago I started a PhD part-time, distance learning, mm-hmm. all very flexible. Everyone on the interview appointment panel knew that I was running Integritas, mm. but because my PhD was going to be about international offender healthcare, that's the healthcare of prisoners, yeah. standards and ethics, it was felt that it was very much in keeping with the day-to-day work that Integritas mm. did, and therefore somehow we'd be able to make it work. Mm-hmm. Everything went swimmingly for the first six months, but then my daughter um, became too distressed to be in her uh, Monday to Friday boarding school that she was in for people with high-functioning autism, mm. and she had to come home sick. And at that point, my world fell apart. Um, mm. You know, I tried doing things like I tried bringing her into the office, but she couldn't cope with the noise of the buskers outside. Mm. Um, she couldn't cope with public transport, so we had to move the office into my home. Mm. Still, I wasn't getting enough time to get my PhD uh, done. Integritas mm. had to come first. Um, still, things were not working out in terms of being able to give her sufficient time. Yeah, And something had to give. Mm. And the thing that had to give was my PhD. Mm. And I will i don't cry easily, but I will admit I cried some pretty bitter tears over that because I've always had a personal aim on my CV wish list, if mm. you like, to do a PhD. Not for the sake of having another set of letters after my name. I've got enough of those <laughs> deep in my heart. I took it really badly. That was hard for me. And I would say I went through a grieving process with that. Mm. Um, it's very easy to become bitter, um, but in us, it's it's very very corrosive, both mm. to your individual soul and to organisations. But I've come through that, and I would say that actually, that has given Integritas other opportunities. My failure to do something personally, professionally, has actually given Integritas the opportunity to explore the same issues. And instead, what we've done is we've started to explore these topics through a partnership that we have with a British university's postgraduate international health program. Mm -hmm. They take BSc and also MSc, and now there's a PhD student who is interested. Mm -hmm. So we can partner with other people and we can get them doing the legwork on these things. Mm. Personal regret doesn't have to be the end of the story. Yeah, yeah, brilliant. So I think that was a really great reflection about how it's not the end of the story. So could we reflect on something a little bit more positive? So what great successes have you had or a great success you've had with Integritas? When we first set Integritas up, it was with the intention Mm -hmm. of bidding for police healthcare contracts. We wanted to run them in a very ethical, low-cost way Mm -hmm. that would be good for British police forces and that would produce very high quality clinical and forensic and ethical results. Mm. Instead, we suddenly found ourselves being asked to bid for work within a prison setting. And that was completely unexpected. It Mm. wasn't on the plan, you know, the grand plan (laughs) that was our incorporating uh, aim. Mm. But actually, it was one of the most successful things we did in our first two or three years. So I think I would encourage you to always have a plan. Mm. If you're going to be a builder, have a plan. You know, nobody, unless they're a real idiot builder, builds a house without a blueprint. Yeah. 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 But that doesn't mean that if somebody comes along and says, 
actually, I appreciate a porch that goes off a bit to the right or a bit to the left, that mm. you should say, nope, we're not doing that. Mm. You know, mm. If somebody gives you a very good reason why you should adjust the blueprint, don't be afraid to do it. Do yeah. draw a quick sketch mm. before you go ahead, but don't be afraid to do yeah. it. So that was a big unexpected um, success in our early years, and it gave us the funding for us to start thinking, what are we going to do with all this money? Yeah. And then I realised that there are so few countries that have good quality, free offender healthcare for their citizens. Mm. In Britain, we're incredibly blessed in that prisoners have um, equivalence of care with the community. They have free general practice um, and they have good access to secondary care, hospitals, mm. etc., just as free citizens. In many parts of the world, that is not the case. Yeah. And people are suffering and dying in corners of cells. When we realised this, we thought, actually, yeah. we can go and do some investigations, we can do some surveying, we can put a boots-on-the-ground pilot project in place, which we chose to do quite strategically in the country of the Philippines. Mm. And that was unexpected. Mm. Mm. It's been very successful. But what we've tried to do is capitalise on that success. We haven't just let it run away without a plan once mm. that was going. We'll be coming up in 2022 yep. to our 10th year of operating. Mm. And we have a five-year plan. So we're now in the middle year of this five-year plan in order to spread our influence mm. around the world. So we've taken our success in the Philippines and we've said, OK, how can we get similar levels of success in other World Health Organization regions. There are six mm. WHO regions in the world. Now, how can we deliver some of our other services as a company? Yeah. How can we be rippling, yeah. um, despite being very small, around the world? So we made a five-year plan. Mm. So don't ignore lucky successes, mm. Mm. but use them strategically. Build on them with a plan. Make a cunning plan as Baldrick would say on Blackadder, <laughs> make it more successful than Baldrick's, bounce it <laughs> off other people, refine it, revisit it every year, which is what we do, yeah. um, hone that plan. Don't be afraid to go off the blueprint and doodle on the edges of it, but do do your doodling. Yeah. Um, and yeah, so that's been two successes we've had, one in the UK and, and one oh, in the Philippines. Yeah. So loads of gems throughout this interview. Um, but just to... To close it, what one final piece of advice would you give to somebody who is planning on building a business? Examine your motives. There are many people who have great ideas, yeah, but wrong motivation. Mm, mm. And conversely, there are many people who have great motivation, great morals, great you know underlying values to their life, but they don't actually have a good idea through which to drive mm. their values um, sometimes you need to do partnership working so you know doodle on the back of a proverbial beer mat mm. what are your motivations what are your values um, don't run before you can walk yeah and uh, think it through talk with people that you trust yeah and yeah. To close us off, we'd like to do something fun. We thought we'd come up with some some more interesting questions to get to the sort of lateral bits of, of the mind. Okay. Okay, so uh, the first question is, what is your favourite word and why? My favourite word 
would have to be, and I say this in a positive way, okay, <laughs> crisis. Okay. Crisis from, this is a large crisis that Blackadder says to Baldrick when they're about <laughs> to go over the top in Blackadder 4. <laughs> if you could live anywhere else in the world, where would you live? Could I live in four places? Okay. Italy. Okay. Because I love the southern... European uh, lifestyle. I love the food, the mozzarella, mm. the olive oil, the mm-hmm. Italian language. Yeah, I love it all. I'd have a season in Cyprus because it's just that little bit warmer than Italy and mm-hmm. it's lovely dry heat, but it's not so hot that you just want to die. <laughs> um, I'd have a season in the Philippines mm-hmm. uh, because I spend a lot of my life there and I have come to love love it or it's just too too humid Mm, at mm. times and then I would have a season in Israel because Mm. that is a place that has very special memories for me Uh, my dad used to take me there a lot as a child Mm. uh, when he was running his travel business yeah and it's also the country where uh, my faith Christianity was was founded Mm. so it's very spiritually important to me as well so Italy Cyprus Philippines and Israel. Okay. But every now and again, I just want to pop back to the UK. Yes. Yeah. It is home. Yeah. <laughs> right. And the last one, the most important one, I'd say, is it Strictly Come Dancing, The Apprentice, or The Great British Bake Off? Could I confess that I've never watched The Apprentice <laughs> or Strictly Come Dancing? So okay. I couldn't possibly say if they would trump The Great British Bake Off. But actually, my autistic daughter is without a doubt, mm. eligible for winning the Great British Bake Off. Mm. She mm. would be brilliant if she could ever um, get on there. So I do watch that with her and I, I do love it. Oh, brilliant. Well, thank you so much for joining us, Rachel. And thank you to everybody who's listening to the podcast. Um, please join us again next week for the next episode. Um, like and subscribe. Listen to our podcast on all the platforms. We're available on Instagram, Twitter and Facebook for any feedback or any questions about this episode or about this interview. Thank you so much. And from all of us at A Bold Leader. Bye. Bye.